BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. So many people, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, we want like now, we want to like push a button or turn something. But you know, it's just like daily consistency, having discipline, sacrificing time that, you know, feels good, like with like sensory pleasures where it's like, maybe a taste of something, the sound of something, watching movies, watching Netflix shows consistently. People don't realize like that's where the grub comes from, just being disciplined and sacrificing things that feel good, especially if your priority is to grow in a different category. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Hello, welcome back to Real Pod. I hope you're doing great. I am eager to share this conversation with you today because I hope it will encourage you to think a little more carefully, dig a little deeper, and inspire you to think about what the best version of yourself truly looks like. Today's guest is Dustin Watton. He's a professional athlete, but also a passionate seeker of knowledge who has been on many journeys throughout his career. And not just the journeys he's taken all around the world as a pro volleyball player, but the journey within, studying various philosophers, mindfulness teachers, and Stoics, all of whom helped him to grow mentally, physically, and spiritually. After a great college career where he went from walk-on to All-American, shout out walk-ons, Dustin believed he could pursue volleyball at the highest level. He spent six years, six years, wiping the floors of the USA Volleyball Gym in hopes to make that roster one day. As he puts it, for six years, I committed myself to the grind preparing my mind and body every day to the best of my knowledge with the belief that one day I would get my opportunity. And eventually, after all of that hard work, Dustin finally got his shot. He was even a part of the 2015 USA team that won the World Cup gold medal. He has now been a member of the team for five years and is still in pursuit of his Olympic dreams. Let's dive into all of this and more right now with Dustin Wadden. Dustin, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this because you just radiate through social media, just the energy, the vibes, and you're standing. I love the fact that you're standing for the interview. I haven't had that before. Does that just give you focus or what do you like about the standing? Well, when COVID hit, you know, my 
my bush league got canceled. There's no USA. I was like, how am I going to pivot at this moment? Because I was like, I'm going to try to like pivot and do like the opposite. So like, I'm going to give. So I was like, I'm going to give money. I'm going to give my time. I started doing a lot of Zooms and I was like sitting all day. And it was just like, it was like the craziest thing ever. I never had any pain like as an athlete, but like doing this, like sitting in a chair and like the end of the day, I'm like, oh, so this is what life's going to be after volleyball. Or <laughs> yeah, back issues. <laughs> so yeah, anytime I can not sit, I'm all in for that. I love that. I got to get a standing desk. I just sit all day long and that's why I probably have lower back issues. So I should take a page out of your book. <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll show you my setup. It's like hilarious. I have like a, I didn't even know what this table is called, but I have like, it's on top of another table. And then on this table, I have like eight zucchinis, a bunch of bananas, avocados, and then this like four foot zucchini my Slovakian teammate brought for me from his home. <laughs> he's like so proud. He's like, this is the real stuff. And so oh it's just gosh. like, it, it looks very professional, but on the other hand, it's just like hilarious. Yeah. When I, when I'm looking at you, it looks professional, but then when we look at our desks, we see everything there. <laughs> I love that. I also feel like I relate to your journey in a special way because it is that underdog story and that people maybe didn't believe in you or it wasn't the expectation for you, but that belief in yourself propelled you to accomplish things in your life that you always knew were possible, but maybe the outside world wasn't expecting. And one of my favorite things about your story is not only that maybe it was a more unconventional college walk-on, wasn't expected to go to the USA and national team, but you literally quote, wiped the floors of the gym for six years before getting that first opportunity. I want to go back to that mindset. What was that like for you to go into the gym every day, see a team you wanted to be a part of and wipe the floors of the gym for six years? Yeah, do kind of words. Yeah, I mean, it was a little of this grit, this stubbornness. Also, I mean, people like raise me up too much. It's also like a little insecurity. It was like, you know, what a lot of athletes deal with. It's like, I'm an athlete. Like, this is like who I am. And so I was like afraid to lose this. And so I just stuck with it. Really all throughout my journey, you know, when I first started, you know, I went to I went to JOs, I went to Junior Olympics, this big volleyball tournament, and my team got last place. And so it was like I started on the bottom. Like I was like awful. So for me, it was always just, I was just curious for a better day, you know? And at first it was just hard work playing beach club every day. And then it was like, okay, hard work and lifting, hard work. And then uh, watching video, hard work, reading, hard work, meditating, and just putting all these things together. And uh, just the belief that if I can get another day, eventually I might get the opportunity and I might be able to show myself. But for me, the emphasis was in my preparation every single day. And uh, yeah, those, those practices, you know, I never got on the court the first four years. I was lucky when I moved to the national team, I moved with my Long Beach State head coach, but you know, he didn't want to play favorites. There's already two liberals there. Just waited. And then finally it was like, okay, we got a new coach. I'm going to move on. And it was just like the first conversation I had with him was like, we're going to take three liberals and you're not one of them. And like, I, was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what do, do? So I was like, can I just stay and pepper and wipe the floor? You could tell, like, he was one, he was like really confused. It's like, why would you want to do this? And I think he had to go somewhere else. And he's just like, yeah, sure. So I just kept on showing up. I just kept on showing up day after day after day. Everyone on the court had like, everyone on the team had like a number jersey. And I just had like an old USA jersey. Like, I was just like more so like a volunteer coach. And at the end of practice, you know, I get my reps, I go lift, 
But the time where I got my work and the time where I really grew and improved was overseas. I was like, those were those seven months where it's like, I have to get to work because I just spent the last five months not training, not competing at all. In playing professionally, you were using that time to groom you to be more primed to have a spot on the USA national team. Yeah, that was the time where I was like, now I have to go to work. And it was really difficult too, because I wasn't getting big contracts. You know, my first year, I didn't have a contract. And then my first three years of getting a contract, I was like in really low leagues. And so the work I had to do was outside of practice, right? Everyone's coming to practice and working hard. But I was like, what am I doing in the morning? Am I meditating? Am I journaling? How am I feeding my body? I putting foods that fuel me, foods that help me recover rather than having a nap and practice early. And so it was just a grind. It was like every day I got squeezed the most out of it. Did you ever feel like you didn't belong? Because sometimes I found myself looking around at a team or an environment and questioning if I belonged there. And I could have, I could imagine just picturing how you've expressed everyone has the same shirt, but yours is this old one. Everyone's <laughs> going to practice, but you're off yeah. to the side. Did that ever make you insecure? or question, like, what are these people thinking of me? And do I even belong in this environment? Because I think many people would have just left the gym and said, I didn't make it. Yeah, always, always. I mean, my first day at Long Beach State, we had an open gym. I just left. I was like, I'm not good enough to be here. Like, who am I? You know, this sort of imposter syndrome where it's like, it doesn't even matter, like all the hard work, all success you've had, but now you're at this new level. And now you're finally like, all right, kicks up. Like, everyone's going to know I'm a phony. And um, especially my first year in Poland, I'm in Poland right now. It's my fourth year in Poland. My first year in Poland, I was like, like I made it. And then I got there, I was like, oh no, like everyone's going to like find me out. Like, and so in these moments, especially more so at the end, the last couple of years of my professional career, it's just like, all right, I understand what's in my control and I'm going to push as much as I can. And so that first year in Poland, I was lucky. I was like more or less in a village. It was just like every single moment of the day, was preparing my mind, my body, grooving myself to be as best as I could in practice, learn as much as I can after practice. And I was just all in on myself and that was it. And so I like, uh, yeah, I've said this a couple of times, like maybe I can't be the best in the world, you know, maybe, maybe not, but I can definitely be the best Dustin one every day, shed a lesser version of myself. Who knows what that final version, that peak version will look like, but it's up to me if volleyball is important to me, my growth is important to me every day to take steps and be intentional with my day and have a purpose each day. What's my purpose? How am I growing? How am I uh, reevaluating what I've done that day and how can I learn from it? How do you let go of the comparison? Something obviously I admire about your career is on the USA men's team, you are not first in line. However, you do bring so much and you utilize your opportunity and your platform and your position to its fullest potential. What's the best way players or people can veer away from that comparison of maybe I'll never be like this person or look like this person or play like this person and be content with their own growth? Yeah. You know, especially being behind Eric, Eric is by far the best receiver in the world. He's a great digger too, but in his reception, he just does things that no one else can do consistently. I just watched him I'm like, man, I can't do that. Like, probably won't ever be able to do that. He's so good that, you know, I'm consistently watching video of him, just trying to be somewhat like him. I think at the end of the day, we have to realize like that time and energy, we have like only so much, right? So we're worrying about how good another person is or how good we're not. We're siphoning energy and time that we could have been using building ourselves up, right? 
on the court, off the court, even people's perceptions of us or our reputation, it's not completely in our control. So by giving time and energy, these things that are not completely in our control, we're taking away time and energy that we could have put to things that are completely in our control. Our ability to set goals, our ability to prepare, our intention that we're going to work throughout the day. And so just realizing those things that are in my control, those things that are not completely in our control, and pushing those things that are completely in our control because these things will shed a lesser version of ourselves, build ourselves each and every day. So many people, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, we want like now, we want to like push a button or turn something. But you know, it's just like daily consistency, having discipline, sacrificing time that, you know, feels good, like with like sensory pleasures where it's like, maybe a taste of something, the sound of something, watching movies, watching Netflix shows consistently. People don't realize like that's where the growth comes from, just being disciplined, sacrificing things that feel good, especially if your priority is to grow in a different category, in a different way. And so we have to set aside that time and consistently work knowing that one day, one week, one month, we might not see the growth, but over time, eight months, two years, eight years, we'll see the growth and it'll pay off. How do you keep that faith? Looking at your journey, the six years, the wait, it's easy to maybe walk away or think this isn't going to happen for me. And I feel like many people in life, whether you hear about these actors and actresses who spent 13, 14 years waiting tables in Los Angeles, finally get their big break, not giving up along the journey and keeping the faith when time after time, it's just not working out. And especially when I think about your experience of like six years, that's a long time. That's longer than a college experience and a college experience feels long to not get let down by every single year, someone not having what they wanted to happen, happen. And I'm sure you were working extremely hard day in and day out during those years. And you still weren't getting maybe that opportunity you'd wanted. How did you talk to yourself in those times to keep the faith and not let those thoughts of, Maybe I'm just, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Creep into your mind. Yeah, for sure. Those thoughts come, they come and go. This might even be like the first, maybe even last year is the second year. It's my 11th year where it's like, I'm really right now. I'm like really composed, confident. Something bad goes wrong. I know just to be still and wait. But um, yeah, a lot of my career has been spent, you know, on the inside, very anxious, nervous. Like, what do people think of me? Am I good enough? Am I going to be benched? Might be going to make the travel team for USA. But the thing is just getting up, just get up. And so if it means a lot to you, you have to get up. You know, you're not going to be perfect. And if anything, I'm a big believer in that young athletes, we need to look at failure in a different perception, right? With failure, we grow. You know, the seek discomfort movement, it's amazing, right? With stress, we grow. Same thing in a weight room. You know, you have stress and your muscles grow. And so I believe we have to, if we love it, if it's, a, if it's a big priority for us, we have to seek failure. We know that's going to happen. We know that when we fail, we have the opportunity to learn from it and to pivot and to grow even more. And so just getting up every day because I loved it. And it's like, what else am I going to do? Am I going to quit? Am I going to get up? I'm just left it as like this dichotomy. Don't get up, get up. And every day it's just like, you know, I'm going to get up. And when I get up, I'm going to be a little more creative and a little more mindful and a little more intentional than yesterday when I failed. How did you keep that love so strong when maybe you can tell me, did times ever come up where you felt like your sport or all the work had maybe betrayed you in some way because you couldn't 
see the, the full picture at that point in time. How did you stay in love with the game? Because I know I've had times where I hate the game. Like the last thing I want to do is serve receive because I've been so frustrated or in a funk all week long. And keeping that love can be challenging. Yeah. You know, a lot of postcards on my wall. <laughs> I love this postcard, this little post-it note that says this is good because. And no matter what happens, as as most athletes, we're perfectionists, right? So we play a perfect game right at the end. You have a couple bad passes and you lose. It's like, oh, it's the worst ever. You go back to this post-it note, it's like, this is good because. And it's like, I pivot, right? I pivot and I pivot and I pivot and I pivot. And I think I was pretty lucky in college and even two years out of college, there wasn't a lot of things I liked. You know, I liked volleyball. I liked partying and drinking and I liked video games. And I eventually got to the point where I was just like, stop. Like, what are you doing? Like, you need to like learn something else. You need to push in a different category. So I started reading. And then from there, I got into plant-based lifestyle. I got into meditation. Just started reading more and more and more. And so I think the love of the game has always been there. But when it's gotten difficult too, I'm also able to be so grateful for this lifestyle where I have so much time throughout the day to pursue things that are very interesting. Maybe I wouldn't have a normal job. I get to read, take care of my body, take care of my mind. And so the big thing is just coming back to abundance, that which already is in our life. How can we desire which is already in our life? So I like talking about waking up with a cup. I'm not happy because my cup is full. I don't even have to have my cup half full. Just I have a cup. I have a cup. How beautiful is that? And then once I wake up, now I can fill that cup with an intentional living. I think the love comes back for just being grateful for what I already have and this curiosity for what could be and just continuing to learn, do everything I know in my best of my ability right now and know that there's something out there where I can learn I can be a little better at. And so I just love this curiosity, almost like a childlike curiosity. How can I be a little bit better? Can I do this? What can I learn from that? And so I just love this game of life. It's so fascinating to me. What inspired that switch? How do you go from crazy party kid, loves to drink, loves to be wild, you know, wants to achieve validation from external factors to this change? And if we hone in on that maybe period in life where you're changing, maybe before you've fully understood what you're becoming, but in that change, what led you to that? And how did you know it was a calling for you? Yeah. So I think to preface it like before when I was in high school high school I didn't fit in at all I had like no friends my dad was a teacher at high school I'd like go eat lunch with him because I just had no one to like hang out with so there was a couple times my younger brother like kind of made fun of me at the dinner table and I just felt like this like lack and that I wasn't enough and no one loved me so when I got to Long Beach State I like automatically boom 24 friends and everyone's like drinking I'm like well I know what I have to do to fit in like drink play drinking games be good at drinking games and I was always seeking to be loved. And still there's some stuff in my subconscious that, you know, kind of does this, but just like seeking, seeking that like external validation. I got to a point where I had a long distance girlfriend, you know, when I drank, like, especially at Long Beach and a little bit after, like, it wasn't like, oh, let's have like a couple beers. Like, oh, I'll have I'll just two beers tonight. It's like, all right, I'm going to drink until like I wake up in the morning. We're getting and hammered so, or I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wouldn't say hammered, like straight blackout. but. Uh, there were some times where, you know, I woke up the next day and I was just like, what, what did I do? And it was just like, oh my gosh, and I was hurting people I loved. And 
I have this like really strong conscience where it's like my current girlfriend now like laughs at me because I won't like jaywalk. I'm like, I can't jaywalk. It says red. Like I can't do it. And so like I had this conscious, but when I would drink, you know, it's just like everything's out the window. I remember getting to a point where it's just like, I'm going to wake up like in jail one day. Cause like I can't control myself. I want to black out on what I'm doing. And so luckily I had a long distance girlfriend and it was just like, my love for her, like overruled everything. It was just like, I'm not going to drink because if I drink, you know, maybe there's a chance I'll do something or cheat on her. And like, that's not what I'm going to do. So I slowly stopped doing that, but it's difficult with peer pressure. Right. So 2015, I was like trying not to drink. I was like, come on, come on. Like, you know, I want to fit in, you know, I, I want that like validation. I want people to smile. I want to make people happy. 2016, I was like an outsider for the Olympics. I had a really good year in 2015. I was like, I'm going to go all in. I moved into my family and my parents. I'm like, I'm not drinking every day. I'm going to bed at 930. And so when I go to the bars and I tell people like why I wasn't drinking, now they were like, oh, smart. Good idea. Good idea. Good idea. And so that year, I, that summer, I didn't really drink. And I'd be at the bars and I'd just see how people morph into these different people. And I'm like, that's for sure me. And like, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want inflammation in my body. Like, if what I say, I want to be, I want to be the best athlete I can be. I want to be fit mentally, physically. Like, these two things don't align with each other. It doesn't make any sense. Like, something has to drop. And eventually, I just dropped it. Was that difficult for you? Like, when you look back, do you think you would use the term alcoholic or just someone who loved to drink at a young age? Like, in giving up, that was that hard or was it just like a day switch something to, that was a quick change yeah i mean like i think like the textbook i'd be like alcohol but it was more so like it wasn't like i need to drink it was just like my friends are drinking so like that's what i'm going to do as well like if all my friends were like golf enthusiasts i'd be like golfing every day and so it's just like that's just what i was doing that's where i felt i would be accepted that was uh socially where everyone was doing and so like, I have no draw to it. I haven't had hard alcohol, I think, in four years, a beer in four years. I'll have, like, a wine every once in a while, almost just to play with my ego because it can also be an ego trap, too, where I'm like, I don't drink. I'm so much better. And so I'll, yeah. have, like, I'll have, like, a glass of wine, like, every two months. I think it's just important. It's just, like, what are my values? What are my priorities in life? And, like, are my actions aligning with it? For a long time, it wasn't because it's, like, subconscious, like, hurt. It's just like, I just want to be loved. I just want to fit in. I just want people to like me. And I did these things because of this, this feeling of lack. How do you feel now with that inner, that inner child voice of, I just want to be loved. I want to be liked. Where are you now with that voice? Because it seems like in this transition, you realized you didn't need to do what everyone wanted you to do to receive what you wanted so badly from them. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I'm still learning, but I have a better grasp on life, what's important to me. So it was funny the other day, I was in California and my, my girlfriend was in Pennsylvania. And so I was, we were uh, on a double date. And they're like, so are you afraid you're going to meet the parents? And I'm just like, parents like me, they like me. They don't like me, they don't like me. Like, I know what I'm doing every single day is, is the best I can possibly do. And I'm doing a lot of my work with others in mind first. And so it's just like, they don't like me. That's not up to me. That's their perception of reality. Mostly it's like a projection of how they're feeling as well. And again, going back to it, it's like my reputation is not up to me. Like at the end of the day, you know, on teams, coaches are going to make cuts, you know, jobs, people are going to get promotions and it's just someone's perception. 
you know, it has nothing really to do with me. And so just doing the best job I can be, being the best person I can be and at the end of the day, that's where it is. There's many people who I feel like I've come across or seen online or even interviewed who say things maybe similar to what you're saying, right? They're saying the thing that we know is true. Don't focus on what's not in your control. Don't seek external validation. But I don't get the impression that it's genuinely tied to their heart and they genuinely mean it. But with you, I know it is genuine. I know this is a 360 way you live your life. How long did it take for you to wholeheartedly align with those teachings? Because I'm currently in a place in my life where you mentioned ego. I know you've quoted Eckhart Tolle. I'm reading his books. I'm doing this soul searching and I'm learning, but I don't feel completely tied to it. Like when people tell me, oh, Victoria, you're so positive and you're so happy. I feel weird because I'm like, I know the darkest, ugliest version of myself. And I don't think I deserve to be referred to as positive and optimistic. (laughs) So when did you fully align with what you were starting to consume? Yeah. So a lot of my journeys come through, we call it like a, a pain teacher. And so I like to think there, there's pain and there's suffering, right? Pain is the instant suffering of uh, judgment about it. And so this was in uh, Nancy, France. We were talking about this a little before, but uh, this was after finally I made I made it on the national team, right? I started on the bronze medal game when Eric got hurt, beat Poland. I made the World Cup team and won the World Cup. And then I went to this little town called Nancy in the north of France, and it was just the worst but best thing that ever happened to me. My teammates just didn't want to try. There was times when my teammates wouldn't pick me up. I didn't have a car. My coach was a jerk because he thought I was like trying to show him up. My long-term girlfriend and I broke up, but pretty much everything outside of me, right? I like to think about like outside of me is happiness, outside is joy. Everything outside of me, these circumstances, situations, girlfriend, family, friends, not really have anything going on with the team, always losing, the coach yelling at me, even being on a crappy city where it rained all the time. It was like, whoa, is me. All these things outside are not making me happy. And I was like, one day we were like one in 19 as a team. I was just like, can I be happy right now? Like, it's not possible for me to be happy. And I call my agent, like, get me out of here. I don't want to be on this team. And he was patient still with me. He's like, relax. I'll find a solution. Just easy. The next day I went to a cafe and I brought this book, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, that my brother gave me. And I started reading it. And I was just like, it's like, it's like, yes, yes, yes. And what I realized is like reality doesn't like define me. I define reality. It's like almost going to a shop and looking at glasses and going like all these different perceptions, like, Life is cruel. Life is awful. Life is challenging. Life is amazing. It's like we, I can view life however I want to. It's my choice. But I was choosing at that moment to play the victim. So after reading that, I was like, okay, I have this list. I have this list that I do. It's like now it's like 24 micro tasks. You can find on my website, talk about it. It's like 24 things I do throughout the day where it's like, I know if I cross them off, I'm going to be more prepared to play. This is the list, right? The list you created. Yeah. So what inspired the list? How did you get this idea? Did someone else do it or you decided this is a method that will work for me? Yeah. My second year in Finland, my first year went great. All well, and it went well. Second year, I was like, all right, I need to be great again. My team needs to do great for me to get a contract. Because after my first year, I got best libero of the league, but no one took me. I had to go back, kind of my tail between my legs. Midway through the season, team was playing bad. I was pushing. I was playing even worse. I was like, 
losing my mind. And so at that time, I was just like training hard, playing video games and partying. So I was like, I don't know what to do. And I called my mom. I was like, can you send me like some sports psychology books? And so she sent me this book and it talked about the list. And so at first it was just four things. So, so, so simple. Work out every day, read a little bit, stretch. I wasn't really stretching at all. So I was like, maybe better stretch it. And then uh, I still want to get my computer games. And so I was like, in between the games, I do like some sit-ups and push-ups. So just four things. And so a lot of the weeks I didn't do them all. Right. It was only four things out the day. And so what I have on my list, I would highlight the ones I did and cross out the ones I didn't. At the end of the week, I'd have like a tally. The weeks where I didn't do the work, you know, I came to the game, not really prepared. And if the game went well in the beginning, I was a little confident, but if it didn't go well, it's like, well, I didn't prepare. And I started to see the correlation when I did like stick to what I knew I had to do. I was much more prepared and confident in the game, even when things weren't going my way. And so I just kept on building and building and building. And then in France, when I had the situation, there were some weeks where I was like, it was almost like a, a game with myself, right? I want to get like a low score. So maybe I didn't do a good job Monday and Tuesday. I just be like, ah, I won't do it for the week. Or I wouldn't do the stuff when I travel. And I was like, that's enough. Like, like Marcus Realist was like in my brain. I was just like, I'm going to do everything that's completely in my control. And that list is completely in my control. No excuses. Do it. Figure it out. Like it's within my control. And so. That's what I did every day. Woke up early, made my bed, got that first one of the day, meditated, made a healthy plant-based breakfast. I would roll, get ready, have a nice coffee, go lift. My coach would drive me to lifting. He didn't want to stay for me to do my conditioning. I didn't have it with the team. I want to do it for USA. So he dropped me off. I go to the park where it was like raining or freezing, do my conditioning anyways, come back, make a juice, watch a video, meditate again. And one of the big Biggest wins for me was I couldn't get any extra work at this gym. There was a team right before us and a team after us. And so again, it was like, no excuses, figure it out. Like it's within your control. You can do it. Be creative. And so I would warm up inside my house. I would roll, I would stretch, I would get ready and put a bunch of layers on. So when I got to the gym, I was already hot and warm. And when everyone else was running around, I get my extra reps. The team only won like two more games for the rest of the year, but every day was the best day ever. I was doing the things that were completely in my control. Everyone else, what they were doing, that was none of my business. You know what? If they didn't want to try hard, if they wanted to punt balls, if my coach wanted to yell at me, you know what? That's their business. Whatever's within my control, 100%. And I'm not going to let them siphon my time and energy on what I can do to build myself. Combating that negative environment is really difficult, though. Like, I'm just imagining the environment and on a losing team with toxic coaching to manifest your own happiness and attitude, that's very difficult to do. It would be difficult to do what you just explained in an environment that is just neutral. So did you have to actively add pieces to combat the environment you were walking into? Like, okay, I'm about to walk into the gym. Like I'm remembering my focus for today and I'm not going to let people not trying affect me. Like how did you manage that environment versus what you were trying to build? Absolutely. I would say three things were big. One was like just seeing the bigger picture. It was like Olympics, like Olympics, Olympics. It doesn't matter. Like when you're overseas, your coach sucks, your team sucks, the league sucks, you're not getting paid. All that matters is like your physical shape when you come back to the national team, right? So I was like, what am I going to say? Oh, sorry, coach. I didn't have a good team and a good coach. So now my level is not good. Still travel me. So that was one. Two, journaling, every day having intention and purpose. 
big on journaling. So three things that I'm going to be intentional about. And then what's my purpose going into training every day, having uh, something to focus on. Learn that from four-time Olympian, read pretty. The last thing is just space, creating that space of meditation, right? And just observing things and being able to have that space to respond rather than react, judge, and make assumptions and just like, let it be. Because I spent so much time being like, hey, stop that. Hey, don't do that. That's not right. Where I come from, this isn't right, right? A lot of Americans when they go overseas, they're like, that's not how it's supposed to be done. You shouldn't do that. And it's like, no, this is their culture. Like they do things a different way. You're the outsider. And so it's difficult because it's like, I'm American. Like, I understand how like you should work and I understand how you should play, you know? And so having that compassion, but the big thing is you have to have space to have that compassion. So I love making the analogy where it's like, you have a 60 ounce glass of water and a tablespoon of sugar. Put that in, makes an effect, right? You have that same teaspoon of sugar, put that in a lake, not a big effect, right? So it's the same thing with cultivating space with meditation. Just being able there to see it, to observe it, to not judge, just to let it be. And then you move on however best you believe you should. Maybe it's yelling, maybe it's cursing. There was a point where my coach kept on laying into me and I was just like, hey, I had, I had, like, I had enough. And I was like, you st- I was like, stop speaking to me like a dog. And I like started pointing fingers at him. And he was like, whoa. I was like, I had enough, you know? And then sometimes you have to speak up. But the big thing is having that space so you can respond rather than this reaction, which usually doesn't serve anyone. It just serves the ego, right? So we can still respond with love, even though, you know, I'm telling my coach where it's just like, this isn't right how you treat me. But the big thing, again, is space. Space within that space, we can decide our choice, how we want to respond. Diving deeper into reaction versus responding, would you say that the reaction is heavily based on the external, the other person there and like what we're receiving from them versus the response is taking that space to analyze situation, maybe separate from the ego, look at it in a conscious place and then decide in making a choice, the best way to handle the situation. I think it's almost like a duality of choice. It's like you respond in two ways, with the ego or with love. So a lot of it's just with ego, where it's just like, like I'm right, you're wrong. Listen to me. Don't do that. And it's just fueling the ego. Whereas with love, there can be understanding. Someone tells me that, you know, I need to be a better, I need to make a better set. I need to go for that ball. If uh, I don't check my ego, I can absorb it and be like, yeah, you're right. Or even if they're not right, I can be like, all right, you know what? It doesn't bother me. I'm not going to make this worse. Okay. But with ego, a lot of times it's like, what do you know? Or like, you didn't go for that last ball or da 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 right? We're always trying to make ourselves up and push someone down. This otherness makes us larger. And so just trying to catch ourselves with the ego. Who's really speaking? Are we speaking through love? Do we really want them? to make a change because that will help the team or do we want to say something because it makes us feel better. And once again, you have to have that space and to act out of love. One of my favorite Jim Carrey quotes is I wish everyone everywhere could have everything so that they could realize it's not the answer. And I've always loved that. Absolutely. Again, hedonic treadmill talks a little bit about, I, I saw this interesting video on dopamine talking about how we're looking at it wrong. And what dopamine really is, is this, unexpected pleasure right and so if you have everything it's just expected right if you have all this money if you're used to this lifestyle you don't get this dopamine anymore 
it's not unexpected, right? And so once again, I think to ground yourself, meditation, journaling, waking up with daily gratitude. And the big thing I think when no one's talking about is service to others. That's when we feel this deep joy, right? Um, as professional athletes, there's a lot of times where we have to go to schools and speak to kids and we're always like, ah, oh, come on, I want rest. I just want to relax. And you go there and you see the smiles just playing with them, speaking like one or two words of Polish, like how happy they are. And you're like, wow, like you're so full of love. It's so full of joy. And it's like nothing matters because like I was able to like have this experience, this human connection with these people. So I think that's a big thing. That's where, you know, celebrities that are doing it right, they're spending a lot of their time for others, service to others or service to self. Who are we feeding? We're feeding ourselves. We're feeding the community. How does it make you feel when people say things to you like, oh, Dustin, you have it all figured out. I wish I could have your outlook on life. You just seem to be so happy. How do you internalize those comments? Yeah, I mean, I think you don't. I get in this problem where you don't want to discount them. Be like, well, I'm actually like a hacker. Like I'm actually a bum, you know? And so like, I think my answer where I want to go, is like, thanks. I'm still learning too. You know, every day I'm learning. I'm never going to know everything. And I'm so grateful for another day to experience life's good, bad moments. And, you know, to almost seek out that discomfort because with that discomfort, with that pain, I think now I'm in a position where, I'm so excited to learn. So seeking failure. Oh man, I failed. Well, I'm going to learn. So I don't do that again. And uh, just everyday learning. So being appreciated for the compliment. Like, you know, every day I'm learning, you know, not every day is perfect, but you know, our perception is completely within our control. The last thing I want to talk to you about is presence, being present and grounded in the current moment. What are a few things that you do or you'll call on to ground yourself in the present? And what are things that you think pull you away from the present moment? Ooh, that's a good question. So I love uh, George Mumford, his book, The Mindful Athlete. He was the guy they brought for the Chicago Bulls and like to speak about mindfulness. Amazing story. But I love awareness of breath. And I started writing this on my shoes. And it was pretty cool because a lot of my followers started doing this too, AOB on the shoes. And so just bringing the awareness from the thoughts, right? The thoughts, so many self-deprecating negative thoughts. Like where are they coming from? Why? And so just moving our consciousness to the sensation of breath coming in and out of the nose, just coming back to the moment, right? When I started reading a lot of sports psychology books, I was like, all right, I'm going to have this phrase, this like confident and focused, you know, whatever to get me back. I'm going to touch the line. It's just like, just come back to the breath. I love that you're breathing right now. Let's take a breath. People are listening to this right now, no matter what they're doing, where they are, everyone take a second. Let's, let's take a big deep breath. Beautiful. It really is the, the answer. Like it's better than any phrase, anything. <laughs> so I like to breathe, have this awareness of breath, but also come back to gratitude. There's a little hack I've learned. I'll do this too. And I go back on the court, big fan of uh, elevated emotional states. So this gratitude, just give your 10 fingers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And each time you say thank you, it's just like the smile gets wider and wider and wider. And you're like, great. Like, all right, let's go. And so when I wake up, what are the three things I'm grateful for? Like right away, it's like I have rather than I have to get. And I think it's tough, you know, being from Southern California, everyone's moving. What can you give me? You can't give me anything. Okay, what can I get over here? 
And we're pursuing things at the end of the day really aren't fulfilling. It's a false trap, right? It's this false salvation. And that's what I've learned too. As an athlete, I've hit some of the highest highs ever. And you know, it feels great. And then an hour after, a day after, a week after, it's gone. There, there's no salvation in life. There's absolutely no salvation in life. And so if you're grinding and hating your life because you believe one day it's going to be better, like, it's not going to work out. And so being able to fall in love with the process, speaking for a friend who's at a tough job right now, it's like, all right, man, like, I understand that. And I respect you grinding it out. But like, with your free time, like, work on something you love. There's always more time we can sacrifice. There's always more time. We have Netflix, we have Instagram. We're always drawn to these things. It's hard, right? The algorithm is so powerful. But there's always time. There's always time to put somewhere else and to build ourselves day after day. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. An hour here. You do that hour every single day for a year, every single day for eight years, and you're going to grow so much. Something you did recently was lock yourself in a, in a environment for five hours, no phone, no distractions, and just think it out. <laughs> I yeah. saw it on your Instagram, and I loved it. I was like, that is badass. I don't think I could do that for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's powerful. The best I play, I mean, for all, all the athletes listening, the best I play is the more I'm editing. Last year, I came into Poland. There was like some trouble with my contract. So I hadn't touched the ball for like three weeks. And like right away, I got, got here. And I was just like so anxious. And being able to be conscious of that anxiety, just like, all right, every day when I wake up, I meditate for an hour. And then kind of went through phases. At the end of the year, I was like, I want to finish strong every day for an hour when I wake up. And you get to the game, you're just so calm. Like no matter what happens, you're just unshakable because you have that space. Too much of the time as athletes, we're slaves to how the game begins, right? As a libero, first three balls, boom, 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 perfect pass. The fourth ball, you're like, come on, like, I'm the best so ever. So true, so true. <laughs> and even if you shake the fourth ball, you're like, whatever, I got three good balls. But, you know, same situation, a little different twist. Doesn't even really evolve around you. Ball hits the net, tape, ace. Ball hits the sideline, ace. Balls hit the back line, ace. And you're like, you know, completely lucky surge, but now you're like, you're looking at the sideline. Am I going to get subbed out? You're like, don't know what to do. You're panicking, right? And so the space is so big, right? How can we come back time after time again, as confident, as focused, as clear as possible? Maybe it's not 100% every time, right? Like if we just passed four perfect balls, but what if we got eight four times in a row and we're still like 95, 95, 95, right? And that's why I think where I am today, because I study a lot of other liberos and like everyone's like so much better than me. Like technically, like I'm a freaking hack of like technical, but uh, it's just, I'm not fluid. I'm not fluid. I'm not really athletic. I'm not quick. I lose all the time to middle blockers and like line trips. Like I'm so slow, but I'm so lucky. I got meditation early in my career. And it's just like back to the present moment, back to the present moment. Whereas other athletes are like, boof, 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 boof. I'm just kind of like, very level. And so uh, that space and ability to sit by yourself, it's difficult, but wow, it pays big dividends. I'm feeling very inspired by your lifestyle and everything you've said, and I want to put action to it. I genuinely want to, like you said, like no excuses. I want to get a journal. I want a journal. I wake up at eight o'clock. There's no reason I can't wake up at seven, six thirty, and and meditate or have that time for myself. 
what's your advice for the actionable steps for both journaling and meditation? So let's, let's go for beginners, people listening to this who want to do those two things. What are the things they should be journaling and how should they approach meditation? Yeah, journaling. So I created a journal and last year I had like a 21 day challenge. So I have along with that journal, I have 21 articles on mindfulness and how we can use those, those quotes or phrases and bring it back to the core. And so whoever wants to just write me, I'll give you a promo code to get it for free. So you can download it online. You can use it. Uh, awesome. I like to use it on my computer. You. Sometimes I'll print it out as well, but you can use it, get the articles as well. And for the list, I would recommend first reading my blog. I put three blog posts on it. It was like my first attempt to write. It's like, I don't want to write. I don't want to write. I don't want to write. But everyone's asking me about the list. I was like, all right, I got to write about this. So read about that. Kind of my story a little bit more in depth, how I got there and why I do each thing on the list, why it's important to me. But I would suggest for people, it's just four things to start, right? Four things. Maybe as your athlete, one will help you on the court. One will help you uh, emotionally, mentally, and physically, and maybe even socially, right? So let's go like morning meditation, right? Read 10 pages a day. Um, Make time to call my mom or be with friends. And before I go to bed, stretch. Just four simple things. Start off slow. And then continue to work and make these things in alignment to the growth that you want to see. Vision that person that you believe you can be and then come back to reality and see, all right, what can I do consistently that will help me grow into that version? And so I think for any athlete, just go as hard as you can. What does that Olympian look like? Dustin the Olympian. How did he get there? He got there because he was always getting extra reps. He was always learning from his failures, working with his coaches day after day, making sure he didn't take the easy way out with food, prepping his food, making time to meditate every day, even though he didn't really didn't like it. Visualizing, visualizing is a big thing in my game. I started working with a coach last year, visualizing not only that next game, but visualizing you in the future as an Olympian. And so there's always work we can do. There's always something else we can do sacrifice and uh for better or for worse it seems arrogant but if i could do it anyone can i was uh last place at jo's i had these fat stubby calves i'm not fast at all i'm really slow and technically i'm not that great of a player but here i am fourth year in one of the best leagues in the world just continuing to move on i think a lot of it is because my commitment outside of the court and being curious all these different ways i can bring outside the court meditation yoga, mindfulness, and bringing it back to the core to be the strongest version of myself possible. Last question just popped into my mind. I really want to ask you, you've mentioned a few times this Olympic version of yourself, the Olympics. Obviously that's a goal that you have, but you've also talked about not seeking external achievements, knowing that the process is more important than the goal. So how does someone who's mindful and present and working on the things you've mentioned throughout this episode balance that with yes an achievement that they do want to accomplish in life which is totally fine yeah i would recommend reading uh reading my blog about the dichotomy of control and so i love stoicism they pretty much had life figured out and so we talk about epictetus talked about you know we always talk about what's in our control what's in our control we really don't know what's in our control because we have to be clear what is completely in our control what is not completely in our control Right? We have to be so clear of it. So the things that are not completely in our control, let's say we can exaggerate the weather, 
whether we're chosen on a team, if our team wins, even if we play well, right? We can't walk on the court and say, I'm going to pass 100%. There's other factors going throughout the game. We can't walk on the court and say, I'm going to win. I can't walk on the court and be like, you know what? I'm going to start today. These things are not completely under my control. So these things, when they don't work out, they don't materialize, we have to be fatalistic to them. Drop them. It's done, right? Because we focus on it. It's like uh, in uh, Buddhism, they talk about the second arrow. The first arrow is maybe getting benched, not making the team, losing the game, right? Boom. That's what happened. We can either just stop and just move on with our life, or we can add second arrows, which the pain is tenfold. I can't believe the coach didn't start me. He's such a jerk. Why does he play that other player? That's unbelievable, right? The second arrow we're doing to ourselves, our reaction, our judgments about it. And so it also siphons the time and energy we could have spent on those things that are completely in our control, those things that are up to us, our ability to set goals, our intention, the purpose throughout the day, the effort that we put in, or just our ability to be a great teammate, right? Completely up to our control. When the coach says, you're on the bench, you have the choice to either go like this or to go like this. That's completely up to you. No one else has that influence on you. Most importantly, what's completely up to us is our perception of those things that are not in our control. So I got caught with this a couple of years ago and it was really difficult for me to learn this lesson. I had two lessons that presented to me. The last one of USA was in the summer. We were hosting BNL. So the previous three, I think four summers, I traveled with the team every time except the Olympics. You know, all these two young liberals started traveling the same amount as me. It's like, okay, that's fine. It's fine. For the final round, they traveled through setters and not two liberals. I didn't go. I was you know, upset. I was angry. My fault. This is the second era. This is me being ignorant, right? Oh, it's not fair. Why is he taking me? You know, I'm losing money. I should be there. You know, I bring so much to the team, whatever, whatever these stories, you know, I tell myself this is the second era, right? And I learned about the dichotomy of control. Going into that second block, I had two weeks, meditated a lot. And I was like, all right. And I wrote down a list. What's in my control? What's not in my control? What's not in my control? Practicing, being the second team libero, making the trip to Japan for the World Cup. What's in my control? So many things, so many things. Meditating, getting to practice early, getting extra reps, visualization with my coach, staying after practice, getting extra reps, ice bathing, stretching for a long time, going home, reading, getting to bed early, meditating before bed, eating clean. All these things are in my control. But these two things, not playing in practice, not making the roster. And so what happened is, in my opinion, I had the best block ever. I was like, absolutely killed it. But at the end of the day, when they wrote the names on the board, my name wasn't on there. And unlike in the beginning of the season where I was just like, oh, why? It's not fair. You know, what's going on? I was just like, all right. Someone's perception of me, my reputation, the choice made for the roster is not completely in my control. And then, you know, next decision, what's completely in my control, I'm going to give everyone that made the roster a hug and I'm going to go in the weight room and crush my lift and I move on. And how do you carry that along with your goal to be an Olympian and knowing that accomplishing that will be once again, like one of these things that will come and go in your life. Like you've mentioned, you get something and then three weeks later, you're, you're back to normal. So like balancing this goal with everything you've kind of talked about today, how do you strike that? So for me, the Olympics is not a finish line. It's a compass. 
It's just a compass. Like, how am I working? Every day, I sleep in, I wake up early and meditate. So I go out and drink, I get to bed early. And it's just like a compass every day, like making sure I'm there rather than like this like duality where it's like, I made it, I'm happy. I didn't make it, I'm sad and I'm worthless. And it's just like, at the end of the day, not on the being, that's fine because you know what? The libero that they did choose is going to be the best in the world and he's going to help the team and the team's going to be so much better because he's on the team. So once again, no salvation, just use it as a compass, you know? What does Dustin Wine look like at the highest level? And how can I commit to these things every single day, especially in those days where it's not easy, right? Being in a pool where it's dark, cold, maybe people aren't watching, people aren't caring, still holding myself accountable. And that's where the list comes in every single day. I hold myself accountable. And at the end of the week, I have that score. I look at it and I can say, all right, did a great job. Or, okay, why didn't I do a good job? And does this path I created still mean a lot to me? And usually the answer is yes. And so that next Monday, I crush it. I see. So you're living your life as this best version of yourself, this higher self that you imagine as Dustin the Olympian, but you're not putting your worth and value in if you actually get to that destination one day. Yeah. Knowing what I know now, I mean, that's so foolish because I leave my happiness, my self-worth, my image to someone else making a decision of me, right? I can't control that decision. It's like uh, when I speak of younger athletes, I talk about relationships, right? I can be the most loving, thoughtful, romantic, charismatic boyfriend ever. But how my girlfriend feels about me is not completely in my control. And so, again, if that person doesn't feel that same way about me, the coach doesn't think I'm that great of a player and they end up cutting me and my personal preference isn't met, I can know that's not completely in my control. That's the pain and the suffering is optional. If I want to suffer, yeah, I can do that. But most of the time it's like, "Mm, I'd rather not suffer. I'm going to take the pain. I'm going to learn from it. If I can, I'm going to pivot, see what I could have done better. And then I'm going to start again, whether it's a relationship on a team or in business, right? Faster we can move on and pivot, the more successful we're going to be. The more energy and time we're going to put back into our craft rather than whining, complaining, gossiping, and just creating this toxic environment that not only we have to deal with, but our friends and family. Wow. Thank you. I really appreciate everything you shared today. And I really do want to get a journal and start meditating and do these things. And I definitely want to check out your blog post that you put out on all these things. So thank you. I really did enjoy talking with you today. Like you said, it's been a long time coming since finding you on social media years ago. And um, I'm just really grateful for your time and your wisdom. I'm so humbled and honored to uh, to connect with you. You're you are you know putting forth such a big change in the world. Like I was talking about, you know, you have this choice: uh, service to self, service to others, and you're definitely over here. And so mm-hmm. I admire that so much. So humbled to be a part of the change that you're making in the world. And so I'll definitely get you a journal. If anybody wants, they can write me. I'll get them promo code journal get you firing up and ready to go and uh, that's the cool part about dustin if you direct message him on instagram he will respond i know from personal experience <laughs> yeah i mean for better or for worse i respond to every single dm i feel i have this responsibility there's so many younger versions of myself out there right 
super passionate. Maybe they're not so confident. Maybe they're a little insecure, nervous. I was lucky. I had a great, I had great mentors. I had great parents. Not everyone has this. Not everyone grows up in a volleyball hotbed. And so I want to help them the best I can to help them create their path, right? I don't want to create their path for them, but to give the knowledge and what I've learned through my failures so they can maybe skip those and be on a much quicker route to be in their best version. I don't know where they're going to go, but this is some, a, a small way I can be of service. And once I'm done with volleyball and maybe even before that, I hope I can find avenues where I can be a much deeper service to people. I just want to help people realize, again, what's completely in our control, what's not in control. How can we reduce suffering? How can we have more clarity? And if it really matters to us, we go to work consistently day after day after day. Ah, thanks so much. I really had such a great time talking with you and I'm really excited for the world to hear all of this today. If you want to keep up with Dustin and learn about all of the journaling and mindfulness he talks about, go to his Instagram at Dustin Watton. And he said, if you direct message him and you say you came from RealPod, that he will send you the promo code to his journal guidebook that he made. So you guys should do that. That's free value. He's being super generous and giving that gift. Once again, he's giving back. We love it. So go direct message Dustin if you want access to that free journal. I'm definitely doing it. I need to start journaling. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow RealPod on Instagram. We are RealPod. You can see behind the scenes information, learn about the guests ahead of time, and all that fun stuff. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I will see you guys back here next week with another fantastic guest. I'm already excited. Okay, I'm not going to say too much, but I will see you guys next Wednesday. And I hope you go dominate your day.